Grace, mercy, and peace to you, dear saints, from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. It is the 23rd Sunday after Trinity, and today's gospel reading is from Matthew 22, where the Pharisees and the Herodians are trying to trap Jesus in that question about taxes, rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar's and under God what is God's, this sort of thing, right? So rendering to Caesar and rendering to God is what we're dealing with. But do you know the historical context for today's gospel reading? And I mean that in the sense of, well, from the, from the perspective that we hear this passage as Americans, and we assume that the question's trap, that the teeth involved in this question, the thing that's going to entangle Jesus, it has something to do with, with the universal disdain for paying taxes. We, we assume that's where the teeth are in this question, that everybody hates taxes, and is Jesus going to be pro-big uh, government? Is he going to be for taxation? Is he going to be a, a pro-Democrat kind of guy? Or is he a, a limited government, small taxes, a Republican sort of fella? And to this, we can honestly say, Americans are dumb. At this point... We Americans generally lack the ability to think beyond our own immediate cultural context, our own societal history, our situation. This is not what's going on in Matthew 22. This may come as a surprise to many Americans, but the world and human history does not revolve around the American experiment. History does not begin with the Boston Tea Party. The the biggest, most scandalous thing in human history is not taxation without representation. I, I know, it's hard to believe. See, the trap here in Matthew 22... The trap that the, the Pharisees and the Herodians are, are trying to spring on our Lord is about the promise that God made to the Jews in the days of Moses. God told them that if they served him, they would have their own kingdom and not ever be under the rule of a foreign king. This was the promise. And the Jews didn't forget what they were promised. Though, <laughs> and this is what is going to work so well for Jesus, quite conveniently, these Jews did forget the terms of the promise. Now, perhaps you're familiar with how this works. Most of us are. You may remember when you were a kid how your dad told you that if you did all your chores at the end of the week, well, he'd give you an allowance. And the end of the week rolled around and you were excited for your allowance, weren't you? You wanted it. You expected it. It was owed you. But were your chores done? (laughs) Or did you just quickly throw all your mess in your room under your bed or in your closet? Did you actually get done all the things you were supposed to get done, and did you do it as expected? The Jews, they would get their own kingdom if they served God and were obedient to him, if they kept his commandments. Now, they held on to the claim that they were owed a kingdom. Yeah, of course, sure they did. But without recognizing that they didn't keep their end of the deal. They didn't keep their side of the covenant. They were disobedient to God and and constantly broke his commandments, grievously worshiping 
the false gods of the surrounding peoples, serving these idols and doing what was right in their own eyes. We read over and over again what served their own desires over and against God's word, just like we do today. Yet they insisted that they were promised freedom from foreign occupation. They insisted they were promised their own kingdom. And so, in the days of Jesus, these Jewish teachers, these Pharisees and Herodians, they would debate among themselves whether they had had to submit to the authority of Rome and therefore pay taxes to the heathen emperor. This, dear saints, this is why their question to Jesus was so dangerous. This is where the teeth lie. Take a look at verse 16 of Matthew 22. We can see this. They say, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and and you don't care about anyone's opinion, for you're not swayed by appearances. So tell us, given that you're objective, you're not a subjective thinker, what do you think? And now here's the real question behind their question. Given that God promised us Jews our own kingdom, Shouldn't we reject Caesar's reign over us, Jesus? Or put more simply, must we suffer this injustice? That was the trap. The injustice trap. That was the danger. Are we not justified in disobeying the civil authorities, Jesus? The question was, did Jesus agree that there was an injustice at play here, that the Jews were ruled by the Romans was injustice. If he had said yes and told them not to pay taxes to these heathens, keep that in mind, the Romans would rid the Pharisees, the Herodians, of their Jesus problem, wouldn't they? They'd take care of Jesus. He would be an insurrectionist, and the Romans didn't play nice with insurrectionists. But how could Jesus say anything else? That was the trap. The Jews had been promised a kingdom. If Jesus denied this, if he denied that they were suffering an injustice, he would would not be a good Jew. He would be denying what Moses recorded, that they they were promised their kingdom. And that would be everything these guys needed to openly deal with their Jesus problem themselves. So they loaded the trap. But then they stepped into it, didn't they? What did Jesus call them? He said hypocrites. And then he proved just how hypocritical they were. See, they had the emperor's money, didn't they? Why would Jews of this sort, commanded by God to have no other gods, have a graven image of Rome's king? If their fealty wasn't to Caesar then they'd have no problem giving back what is his. It's just the, the, the money. It's just their, their currency. It doesn't hold their heart. If their trust was in God, what did the tax matter? They could render to Caesar what's Caesar's, to God what's God's. Jesus' answer put the Pharisees in the hot seat. Who did these Pharisees serve? Jesus said, Previously, he taught that you can't serve two masters. And this is the first commandment. 
recorded by Moses, isn't it? It's said in a little bit of a different way, but it's the same commandment. You shall have no other gods. Jesus looks at this graven image on the money, and he tells the Jews, if you want your kingdom, keep your end of the agreement. Keep the commandments, guys. Serve God. Obey God's just decrees. And the kingdom he promised you, it's yours. Is your treasure, is it in heaven or is it on earth? Where does your trust lie? If you don't have Rome's treasure, if it doesn't hold your heart, control you, if you don't serve that idol in your hand, and if you don't serve Caesar, if he's not your king, if he's not your God, then the question of taxation, it's moot, isn't it? Jesus is saying, you shriek about injustice, well and good, but what about your end of the deal? You want your kingdom, okay, I've heard you. How about you stop being hypocrites? Stop denying your own guilt under the law. How about that? Admit that God owes you nothing. Confess that you're quick to serve another master, any other master, to worship false gods, any and every other false god. Repent and receive what was promised you. And that's what this text is telling us today too, isn't it, Christian? This is the message for us today. This is what we take from Matthew 22 we have the same exact bad habits as the Pharisees and Herodians. We're just as sinful as them. And we can be just as hypocritical. We like to focus on what God promised us, all the while forgetting that we fail God every day. We sin against God every single day. But because we prefer to focus on how we're sinned against, yeah, yeah, we constantly feel like we're the victims of injustice. Yeah, even us Christians. Do we really? Do we really have a leg to stand on when it comes to any of our claims of injustice? Really? I mean, we live in a, a culture that really likes to emphasize injustice, that really likes to emphasize the victimhood. There's an intersectionality of, of victimhood now. We no longer encourage people to avoid thinking of themselves as, as victims, of needing charity, of, of being uh, on this sort of have-not spectrum. In fact, now we encourage people to actually want to be victims. They get some sort of power in their victimhood in saying that they've suffered injustice, just like the Pharisees and the Herodians. Everyone's a victim. Everyone's looking to find a way where they can be uh, grieved against, sinned against. No, <laughs> that's not the Christian way. See, I don't, I don't deny, dear saint, that you've been sinned against. That's true enough. I have too. Sniffle, sniffle, whine, cry. Injustice, injustice, it's all there. We all feel like we get the short end of the stick all the time. We all feel like our plight is worse than the next guy's. So then let's be honest about this for a second. Where do we get off saying that we're suffering, that we've been wronged because of an injustice? How does that work for the Christian? Have you not sinned grievously against God? How can any of us guys 
How can any of us claim injustice about the sins committed against us? How can I focus on what someone else has done against me when daily I sin against God? Luther's brilliant on this when he preached on this text. He says, indeed, it is true that injustice has been done to me, which I have not deserved from such and such a person. But I need also to look behind and before myself to see how I stand before God. There, I find that there is a very long list and register of wrongs that convince me that I am ten times worse and have sinned against God ten times more, yes, even a thousand times more than my fellow man has sinned against me. That's why it behooves me to straighten out these distortions and say, O Lord, forgive me, and I will also forgive. Just as we pray in the Lord's Prayer all the time, right? Yeah. This is our word, dear friends. Each of us is guilty of so many sins that there is only one thing to concern ourselves with, and that is repenting of them, rendering to God what is his. First and foremost, what is his is your sin. Christ died to possess your sin. He took your sins with him on the cross and paid for them. They're his, not yours. Confess them already. Render unto God what is his. And as you do, you'll be rendering faith unto God, your trust unto God with your sins. Serving one master, the true, only Lord we can be like the Pharisees far too easily, can't we? We, we tend to want to dissect this, this nuance and that one, and we would like to find clever little ethical dilemmas to, to justify our sins while we fool ourselves into thinking we're being wise and, and uh, we know the word, but the world, they're fools, and, and uh, we're justifying our sins is what we're doing. Rather than having our sins justified, having Jesus justify us, be our justification. So let's stop that. Our concern is not justifying our own sins, but repenting of our own sins, acknowledging the truth of our own guilt, honestly, before God, and repenting of our own idolatry and all the sins that flow from it. And in this way, dear Christian, having honest, repentant hearts, we have Jesus' obedience on the cross to God. We have his gifts, what he received, his his promise. That's the promise of the new covenant made with us in his blood. We've been given, you've been given, his keeping of the law. His keeping of the law. You can't keep the law. His perfect service to God, his perfect service to neighbor, through your baptism into Christ, it's yours. Jesus obeyed God to the point of death on the cross. 
the only sinless man, died for you. You, sinner, he died for you. And without a whisper about any injustice, he laid down his life willingly for you because we're just like the Pharisees. Render unto God the things that are God's. What would that be? Your sins, absolutely, all day long. Jesus died on the cross to take your sins from you, to take them away. He bought them with his given and shed body and blood. They're his. Render your sins unto God. Confess them to him. And receive what Jesus secured for you. In Christ, we each receive the promise that he received when he fulfilled his end of the agreement. He didn't worship idols, nor did he put his trust in anyone other than his father. And in keeping that law, because God is good for his word, Jesus received his kingdom. That promised kingdom of old that the Jews were paying so much attention to where no occupying king will ever reign. Jesus received what was promised, and we receive this kingdom in our baptism into Jesus. And this way, through baptismal repentance, we each avoid being hypocrites, sniveling about suffering injustice, about how we've, we've been wronged and are victims, But instead, (laughs) instead you've become more than conquerors. Not victims, not conquerors, more than conquerors. Knowing the God of justice has meted out justice on Christ's cross so that injustice would be quenched and your sins forgiven. Your sins, dear Christian, they are absolutely, totally forgiven. To God, you render your trust in faith. You render your sins. And with thanksgiving, knowing, (laughs) knowing that you are forgiven. Because you are. Amen.